Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Recalibrating the Scales. I'm your host and Chief Executive Resolutionist, Normia Vasquez-Scales, at your disposal. Identity crises spawned by the name game, ramifications of excess labels within academia. As a man thinketh, so he shall be, according to author James Allen. Our psychological and clinical labels, such as ADHD and ODD, to name a few, which are abbreviations, ladies and gentlemen, for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and opposition defiance disorder, again, to name a few, functioning as modern-age marks of the beast. As an aside, the term beast is indeed quite relative, ladies and gentlemen. Our featured guest and fellow professional educator, Tony Mellon, will grace us with his internal perspective on the ramifications of frivolous and excess labeling of minority students in academia. I've personally struggled with the widespread notion to diagnose, label, and ultimately medicate students to conveniently subdue a plethora of of students. Moreover, I've observed that the minority male youth population is apparently in the light of fire, per se. However, research reveals that boys in particular are constant movers by nature, contrary to most, and I do mean most females, yet bear the burden of adverse consequences for falling short of conducting themselves precisely like their female counterparts, who are more inclined or apt to remain silently seated with folded limbs. My firsthand witnessing of this as a former traditional classroom instructor, a reading language arts instructor at at that, served as a chief constituent of my sound rationale to essentially transition to homeschooling my son, Maximo. Coupled with grave and valid concerns pertaining to a profoundly deficient common core curriculum, which is, in, which is implemented, implemented and integrated in schools throughout the U.S., and an unresolved bullying academic, epidemic and beyond. Several years ago, I noted the trend of frivolous diagnoses and their disparities, particularly the correlation between adverse labels and identity pertaining to our youth. My best illustration for this obvious parallel can be summed up by the quote from the film, Lean on Me, some of you may know, portrayed by Morgan Freeman, whereas the character Jill Clark proclaimed that if, quote, you treat them like animals, that's exactly how they'll behave. Case in point. Aligned with the aforementioned topic, embodying education and identity, I'd like to reiterate an encore rendition of my original poem incorporated in my recently published chapbook, Pardon My Vernacular, Wordsmith at Large, Verbal Tango, Volume 1. It's titled, I before E, except after we. I before E, except after we, 
is my interpretation, or is it C, your way into the intellectual, educational, conversational realm? You know, the academic sphere where the pen slays, lays waste, mutilates the sword, that is, uh, the pinnacle, the epitome of Newton's reaction to the reaction, knowledge spewed onto bright-eyed, bushy-tailed youth to become inevitably sponged, sapped, relished, via cerebral plane sculpting modern-age vortices and constellations contrary to Andromeda and Cassiopeia, simmering boastfully, poised in dank arrogance, which spills, pours into the petri dish, harboring the antidote for the allegedly incurable for dot, 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 ellipses, fill in the blank, resting in the clutches of the millennial generation next. Not other than three-dimensional minds to the infinite power times pi r squared, crafting, resculpting, chiseling torches infinitely, infinitely ablaze by ingenious predecessors such as the apple of their glistening eyes, Steve Jobs, and inventors akin to his ideologies, premonitions, and visions nevertheless. Sprightly concepts lush for the plucking on standby for the one doff, landing at the threshold in close proximity to the heavens, airborne, playing devil's advocate with prodigies, past, present, and in the process of becoming. Without further ado, I introduce to you Tony Mellon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Recalibrating the Scales radio show, Tony. How are you this evening? Good. How are you doing today? And how's everyone else? I'm faring. How's it? I'm faring well, faring well. Well, diving into things. Tony, can you share with our listeners a bit about yourself, your field of expertise, and your academic endeavor, being the unique curriculum that you've spoken of? And furthermore, what trends and observations are you privy to within post-secondary education? Um, I am Tony Mellon. I am working on developing a history curriculum for minority students, in particular um, black students. Um, trends that I've noticed in education, uh, particularly special education, because uh, I just failed to mention, but I, I'm a special educator. I focus in the general curriculum setting. Um, this is this is regular class as as we would imagine it to be, or where students are normal enough to be around their non-disabled peers, but they have or need accommodations to help them grasp the entirety of the curriculum. Um, within that setting, what I've noticed is a a oversaturation or overrepresentation of minorities within the realm of special education. And there are different reasons, I believe, that that, that, that this is a thing. Uh, the first and foremost is the legacy of uh, racism and slavery within the United States. But more importantly, uh, attached to those things is how racism and, and the legacy of slavery affects the identity of minorities which has really excelled this uh, over-representation. I see. And uh, were there any specific trends that you made note of? 
Yeah, so so I never like to present information without giving others the opportunity to access this information. So there's there is a a website, um, the National Center for Education Statistics. Uh, that's abbreviated NCES dot ed dot gov. So I'll be relating some information from there. Uh, just to jump right in, uh, children from the ages of three to twenty one years old. Uh, under Individuals with Disability Education Act, acronymed as IDEA, Part B, uh, by group, by sex, race, and race and ethnicity, and type of disability, uh, taken from 2014 and 15, uh, will provide data in accordance with uh, those areas. But looking at race, uh, or just looking at special education in general, there are three categories uh, that make up the majority of special education, at least 52.2%, and that is specific learning disabilities is category one. Category two is emotional disturbance, and category three is other health impaired. Now, these are important because special learning disabilities is where we find – well, let me back up. Other health impairment is where you'll find ADHD. ADHD is a, is, is a sub-diagnosis that follows under other health impaired. Other health impaired makes up 13.1% of all diagnosis within special education. It also is mirrored by 13.1% uh, of black children that receive special education. Okay, so emotional disturbances make up serious emotional disorders or oppositional defiance disorders. Those are acronym SED or ODD. Okay, these two categories uh, make up 5.3% of overall special education, 6.6% amongst black students. And specific learning disabilities make up 34.8% of all special education and 37.7% of black children. So these three make up 57.2% of all special education matters dealing with black kids and 52.2% of all special education matters in general. So these are your broad categories. Okay. And okay, so you've, you've actually um, one of the questions that I did post for you, which you've, you've definitely clearly articulated, what, which are some common diagnoses, which are what you and I have just spoken of, which are inflicted upon these students. Um, you've expounded upon those. Uh, how, do, how do such labels impact students in terms of identity, in your opinion? Well, these labels impact students by creating identity for someone who does not yet have an identity. Um, for example, in order to accurately answer this question, uh, we have to understand that the majority of diagnosing uh, children, especially minority children, is done by a bias subjective measures. And what do you mean by bias and subjective measures? Well, here's this, here, here are some symptoms for ADHD, aggression, fidgeting, hyperactivity, impulsivity, irritability lack of restraint, or persistent repetition of words or actions. 
Bias because if you're a student in poverty, black or white, but if you're a black student in poverty, uh, irritability is the symptom also of just being impoverished. Uh, impulsivity can be directly connected to anxiety, which is a byproduct of living in an unsafe community where your cousin just got shot yesterday and you don't know if your parents might get injured today. So you take these sub these these the subjective measures, and you say, well, that kid has ADHD. A treatment for ADHD is stimulants or medicine. So now you have to give the child medicine to control these symptoms that are related to conditions, rather than an actual physical or psychological uh, anything. So so. Going back now to answer the question, uh, I had to deal with the sub. Some, just give give an example of subjective measures uh, that these kids face. Okay, and go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm, 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 we're all ears. Yeah, listening. Go ahead. I was just I was I was just going to say with these subjective measures, these kids get get labeled, and because they're labeled this way, if they don't have a mother and a father that cares for them at home. And then, or they live in a harsh community, and they they bombard themselves with music and television that says, "I'm a savage," or music such as a, a hot song out now by an artist named Little Pump who says, "Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang." This is exactly how the song goes verbatim. And if you notice, one of the symptoms of ADHD, as reported, is persistent repetition of words. So you got a student bouncing off the wall, won't listen, seems defiant, loaded with anxiety, repetitiously repeating things that they hear or see in TV. They have no identity, and now you've gone and told them that the reason why they're this way is because they have ADHD. Now they finally got some explanation as to why they're not normal, if there is such a thing, as the other kids that exist within the school setting and they full-fledged buy into it. They have all kind of paraprofessionals within the school community whose job is to help them with their disability that they've just been told that they have, and now they believe it. Mm. And now, and now they put less effort into learning, less zeal, because kids are always looking for a way to get out of doing something, as are adults when they're at the job. I have to go to the bathroom. They come back from the bathroom. May I get some water? They come back from the water for anything to get out of the class. And now you've gone and told them they had a disability, and now that disability makes it where to where an adult has to read for them. So now because of something that they're going to use, no longer am I going to pay attention. I'll just use this extended time or uh, this this accommodation to help me uh, just do enough to get by. I see. So not only is it is the label what I'm what I'm getting from this, and these are all notions that I've had, but I I just hadn't uh, done the extensive research just from a common sense logical perspective. I'm a very logical creature by nature, um, but just the notion that I had it, it seems as though. You have a Band-Aid effect, which is the medication, which, in my opinion, is just a very clever way of appeasing 
the staff and the in- instructors, you know, by virtue of what I've, I opened with, you know, if that particularly I'm going to refer to, to males because most of the, the male youth are the ones who are targeted and diagnosed uh, because they don't sit like sit down with their hands folded like little girls. So we're just going to medicate them and they're walking around and these in- induced zombie light states uh, for, you know, basically as a courtesy to the staff and the instructors, but that's not the remedy. You know, well, medication itself is never the solution because it doesn't get to the root or the core of what what the issue at hand is. But I'm going to turn it back over to you. Um, no, that, what are your that, thoughts that, on that? That, is, that, was, that? That ties into my next question. That is exactly right. To the teacher's defense and to the school's defense, I will say, then it becomes a tremendous problem trying to teach 30 or 40 kids when you have four or five acting out constantly. So these diagnoses, mm-hmm. sometimes it may seem that they help help take the steam off education, but sometimes it makes it more rigorous for teachers because in the 21st century, inclusion is, is, the, is, is the primary wave that has not removed these classes from these, these children from that, those settings, but placed them in it. And and, 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 and and building numbers. So you have more kids with, with, with special education diagnosis entering the general curriculum classroom, and the teachers still have to deal with them. So it, 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 it doesn't help um, give the teacher an escape. However, it needs to be mentioned that medicating them, you're absolutely right, is not the answer. Because at the root of their problem is the legacy of the United States of America, which I would attribute to uh, uh, a legacy of slavery and or racism. Why am I saying that? Because of identity. There is no, there is no black contribution in the history books, contextually. The only thing that, that black kids or minority kids learn is that they were slaves, which at large can be inaccurate and drawn out of proportion. But from the time you're young, the curriculum goes, if you're talking history, the curriculum goes from Greece to Rome, from Rome to white Egypt, right? With just 27,000 years or or, or 2,700 years of Egyptian history before you get to the Greek portion of it. But you start right with the Greek portion of it. Then you go from there to to the Dark Ages, or Rome, Greek, Egypt, Rome, Dark Ages, which is Europe, Eurocentric focus. The Crusades, the Reformation, Eurocentric focus. The Renaissance, Eurocentric focus. Then you go to colonization, Eurocentric focus. You go to industrial, industrialized, you know, industrialized era, Eurocentric focus. In the meantime, these kids' identity are being shuffled. They're being indirectly taught that they're worthless. So the only thing that minority students are, 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 are thirsting after is athletics and the performing arts. We have to ask ourselves, well, why is this a reality? It's a reality because they can identify with the images they are presented with can which they identify. That sounds complicated, but what I mean is, They see black basketball players. They see black singers. So that's what they believe they can be. They do not see, on the other hand, 
black accomplishment. And it's the histories and the literatures are loaded with black accomplishment, which is why I'm writing a, a history book on on black history for students. As you and I stated before, we talked in, in brief, one of the core things that you learn in American history uh, during the Western mm-hmm. expansion after the purchase of Louisiana Purchase is the expeditions of Lewis and Clark who go out. But they intentionally leave out. There is a statue in Louisville, Kentucky, of so-called a slave named Crow who escorted Lewis and Clark all the way across the United States. They leave out that Benjamin Banneker is the one who helped survey Washington, D.C., according to the stars. They leave out that Peter the Great adopted a black son, Abram Hannibal. They leave out the legacy of the Moors and their interactions with Spain and southern France and Grenada and Portugal. We don't have time to go into that, but what we do have time to do is to use that as just one isolated example how the identity of minority children in America, in this country, is boxed into the arts, which is why our kids inspire to do what only minority people have been allowed to do in this country without a tremendous fight. Wow, that is exceptionally profound. And you're giving me a history lesson in exchange because, yes, I, that, that is an, an omitted information because up until our conversation, to my, you know, exchange, I wasn't familiar with, with Lewis and Clark. I hadn't been taught that. And there has, has been an, an ongoing argument that there have been substantial omissions of history pertaining to uh, to blacks or African-Americans of, of people of color. Of, Color. Go ahead. Absolutely. Go, you know. okay. Absolutely. It's 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 a reality. And I don't I don't want to take up the time going into that to rectify that as as stated, I have to write a book, poly volumes of books. But I just wanted mm-hmm. to assure the listener that it's not isolated stuff. It's major there are many major things. There are many major things that are propagated that we sweep under the rug. Like Abraham Lincoln is a good guy because of the Emancipation Proclamation. That's how we write him. But he's also the same man who says, so the crocodile is to a nigger, because they used to feed black babies to the crocodile. He says, so is the nigger to the white man. That's mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln's own quote. That's quote Abraham Lincoln. He said that. So, 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 so we romanticize. All this associated with the European and Europe, and we demonize everything that is associated with what we call minorities in this country. And then once we get done doing that, we say we have an epidemic of low performance amongst minorities, and then we place all these psychological special education diagnoses and state that they have an inability to learn when what they really have is lack of zeal. They don't have any ambition to learn because they don't see themselves as a learner. A popular, a popular phrase, phrase for black kids to say or even Latino kids to say in school is to another student that's doing their work is you think you're white. 
When black kids see a black kid doing his work or talking proper, they say, you think you're white. Because white and academic are the same thing. They've indirectly become synonymous through how we deliver our curriculum. Well, I welcome, you know, I'm on standby for that hot curriculum of yours. Um, and we definitely, definitely will be incorporating those omissions into our historical curriculum. I wanted to ask, you've covered a great deal of ground. One, well, since this platform has to do with recalibrating, I always like to, to bring the, whatever the topic is, back to balance. We, we have the problems. We have the dilemmas. We have the crises. But now, you know, what is the solution? I, am a, I do brand myself as a certified chief executive resolution, re- resolutionist. Um, so that question I'd like to pose for you is how prevalent, well, you've, you've answered how prevalent my, uh, misdiagnoses are within the academic realm, within that arena, and then the external factors, how they uh, induce those skewed results which I'm glad you asserted that claim because that was part of my claim. As it was like, you know, I don't think it's so much about the labels. Um, I mean, they're labeling these children and they're not factoring in environment. They're not factoring in these external factors, abuse, uh, domestic turmoil, things of that nature. Of course, if, if those things are imposed upon those children, they, they're going to act out. But is that, does that warrant being medicated? Oh, so that's, so you've answered that. But again, so let me get back to my point. In the time that we have remaining, how can a healthy equilibrium be attained regarding this aforementioned topic at our disposal or dilemma at hand of basically excessively labeling and the identity crises? Um, truth, truth and full integration. And when I say full integration, the integration of schools wasn't complete with us, uh, us learning together. We do better to learn in separate settings. And I mean, I'm talking about along racial lines, to hide the achievements of one group and magnify the achievements of another. Such is the same as having two sons that are twins, Billy and Tommy, and saying, Billy, you're good. Billy, you're smart. Billy, you're this. Tommy, you're a slave. Billy, you can do anything you want in this world. Look at what you've done. Look at what your ancestors done. Billy, you attributed no- uh, Tommy, you attributed nothing. If you treat kids like that, you'll find that one brother will end up hating the other brother in jealousy. They'll be fighting over the same father. One will say, Dad is a good man, and the other will say, Dad is a bastard. And both of them will Mm -hmm. be right because they're both dealing with the same parent, but their experience with that parent is different, such is the case in in our system. So what I mean by full integration is we need to go back and redo all the curriculum that is and truly incorporate uh, what is black achievement. Note that Pythagoras studied in Egypt for 25 years before he went back to Greece and came up with the Pythagorean theorem. Don't just tell students that he came up with the Pythagorean theorem. No human being learns learns anything without another human being or the writing of some sort from another human being. So we're interdependent, and it's not about race. We've always dealt with each other from Greece to Egypt, you name it, Middle East, you name it. The world has been interconnected, and race as is understood now, is an, it, it came, came, came about in the 17th century. 
in in its full in its fullest uh, insidious forms. So we need to undo that, which is easy to say, uh, but but until that happens, we will see this bias because the bias that we're seeing is a reflection of the larger sentiments that are racism or superiority complexes. When people put that down, then they will approach academia and all its disciplines with the even ground of of world accomplishments. And then we will begin over to sincerely collaborate and not get together in groups and collaborate upon a European view. Mm, for the you know, European. Tony, that is and that is excellent food for thought. Um stand by for just a brief moment. I do I want to pick, I want to resume this conversation. I'd like to render special and utmost thanks to fellow educator Tony Mellon for carving out the time, energy, geographic space, and expertise to render his profound introspective wisdom this evening. Behind the scenes, Dean Bradley, I'd like to thank you as well, coupled with all of you listeners speckling the globe. Once again, the Recalibrating the Scales radio show and movement rests upon your very shoulders, ladies and gentlemen. Therefore, I humbly implore your continued listenership as always, and I also beckon you to follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Until the next episode, this is Normia Vasquez-Scales, signing off.